Good morning. Well, let's get right into it. We have come across what may have been the most extraordinary wrap-up to a spring legislative session we've ever seen. Lawmakers gone for two months, came back and packed a whole lot into four days, and then left more than a week ahead of what would have ordinarily been the scheduled deadline for the spring session. Uh, Getting a few things done, leaving a lot of things untouched. Uh, so, so run us through the scorecard on this, David. Let's let's start with the budget. Uh, what does it do, and what does it not do? Well, the budget relies heavily on uh, a loan from the uh, Federal Reserve, a five billion dollar loan from the Federal Reserve, about three and a half billion dollars of which uh, repayment will come from existing COVID relief funds, at least so the legislature hopes, and they're anticipating another $1.5 billion from future COVID relief in order to repay that money. This was pretty controversial because of Illinois' high rate of indebtedness already, and because the current rules on uh, spending the existing COVID relief money don't really allow these funds to be used that way. So they're anticipating some changes in the rules. And these rules are very fluid at the federal level. So it's not unreasonable for them to think that there will be changes in the rules that would allow them to repay that amount of money. You know, there was never really, as near as I can tell, any serious discussion about cutting the budget, even though we are going to see what's estimated to be about a $7 billion revenue hole over the next couple of years. Uh, But we're also going to see much greater demand for government services, uh, whether it's public health services to to cope with not only this, but to prepare for future pandemics, whether it's unemployment assistance, job retraining, lots of things where people are going to be looking to the government for help. Uh, But nobody ever really said, "Okay, let's start cutting some of this. In fact, this budget is significantly higher than the spending plan that was put together in place last year for the the current fiscal year that ends on June 30th. Right. As as we understand it, the uh, the negotiation, such as it was, started with Governor Pritzker's existing budget proposal and kind of moved from there. Pritzker made an offhanded comment during the press conference after the budget passed saying that that uh, the legislature had kind of uh, had overdone it, had, had perhaps spent too much. And there was some follow up on that. And there were a few kind of fund transfers, et cetera, that he was being critical of. He believes he could have saved maybe two hundred million dollars uh, from what ultimately was agreed to. That's not that big an amount in a $40 billion budget. So there seems to have been general consensus on this. You talked about different departments and, and especially the health care area. The biggest single area of increase was in the Illinois Department of Public Health, which would have a $1.6 billion budget in the coming fiscal year. That's up by 100, almost 150% from uh, last year. But a lot of that is reflected in um, federal money, $416 million of that, or nearly a third of that it incre- uh, total budget is coming from uh, federal funding. It, we'll see if the governor uh, really meant what he said about the legislature overdoing it. He does have a line item veto that he could use on this budget. 
Uh, whether or not he will choose to do so, of course, remains a, an open question. Uh, the other open question, David, as you noted, is what happens if the federal assistance doesn't come through the way we want? If they don't change the rules, they don't approve additional relief funds for state and local governments. Uh, what do we do then? Because as you noted, we already have a lot of debt. We have a lot of obligations. We have a huge pension liability that uh, nothing really has been done to touch that. We are, are literally teetering on the brink. Our credit rating is as close to junk bond status as you can get. Everything's riding on help from Washington, and, and help from Washington may not be the best thing to rely on at this point. No, it may not be. Uh, Washington is, is always a, a crapshoot, especially in an election year. Uh, we know that what the governor has done in his original budget was say, if you pass the uh, progressive tax, the graduated income tax I'm proposing, then I will fund the schools to X amount of money. If you don't, I'm going to reduce that substantially because I'm not getting the revenues I was counting on. We haven't seen that kind of statement made, but one would expect that if the funding from the feds does not come through, uh, there there will be a lot of uh, makeup that will need to be done. Uh, the trouble is, by then, the money will have been borrowed. It will be in the state's bank account and probably much of it spent. And so if the feds don't come through, it's just going to be another mess in Illinois' sorry record of fiscal mismanagement. we got a lot more to talk about here with David Greising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. When we come back, we'll talk about some of the things lawmakers did not do during this session, things they insisted they were going to address in the spring. They they didn't. And one thing that they tried to do, but because of the BGA, they ultimately did not do, and that was to weaken FOIA. We'll talk about all that and more as full disclosure continues here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising, President and CEO of the BGA, is here with us. Uh, David, this legislative session will be marked by uh, a whole lot of things crammed into four days and a whole lot of things that didn't get done in five months, very little happening before the pandemic and even less happening afterwards, things that were supposedly very big on the agenda. We were told we're going to do something about property tax relief this spring. We're going to address our our uh, continuing ethics problems uh, here in state government. And those things just simply did not happen. Right. Uh, it, it's not that surprising given how uh, shortened the session was, but it's extremely disappointing especially the ethics reform uh, bill that was supposed to have been uh, a proposal was supposed to have been made be made by the end of March. Uh, that, of course, didn't happen in the midst of COVID. Uh, that commission was already well behind by the time COVID really struck. So there's some question as to whether they would have gotten it done. We really haven't heard very much from them yet. Um, there's a debate among um, the do-gooder types between uh, would it have been better to pass something, anything, or would it be better to maybe take a little extra time and get some really comprehensive legislation going? Uh, the BGA, my organization, is favoring really, really the latter uh, approach. We'd like to see really comprehensive uh, reform. And so while it's disappointing that ethics reform did not get done, it's not that surprising. And maybe we can actually get something really substantive going forward. The other two things that didn't get done, that you mentioned property tax, and um, that was... Uh, really a, a pretty big deal. And that that commission has uh, has really just kind of fallen apart among partisan bickering. 
years. Well, we, we admire your optimism on the notion that maybe at some point they'll come back with a comprehensive ethics reform package. I guess I guess we will see one thing that almost happened and then didn't happen in large part because of the direct intervention of the BGA during the, the pandemic special session was an attempt to weaken FOIA here in the midst of the pandemic. And the BGA really mobilized against this, David. Yes, we did. Uh, we think it's extremely important at any time for people to have access to public records. Uh, there was a move afoot to shut down access to public records during COVID. This would have let, been in place retroactively back to early March and extended through at least July. And there's no other time in our lives when government has had a more important role to uh, on our lives day to day. And for us to have to just trust government at this period in time, we just viewed it as really dangerous precedent to set. And so, yeah, when we became aware of this bill that was slipped, this proposal that was slipped into the omnibus bill, uh, we rang a lot of alarms and our policy director, Marie Dillon, got very active on the phone uh, in order to call attention to this and ultimately to uh, send it to its uh, justly deserved grave. Uh, no, no question about it. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, again, uh, it, it looked like a convenient excuse to try to do something that I suspect a lot of political types wanted to do anyway, which is to get, get out from under the thumb of uh, pesky reporters and pesky citizens who uh, want to keep tabs on what they're doing. Uh, but, yeah, certainly it was an effort that uh, that, that died a quick and well-deserved death here in the General Can Assembly. Yeah, and Jim, I, I should note that Governor Pritzker during a press conference actually disavowed this proposal. So credit to Governor Pritzker, who often is reluctant to meddle in ongoing uh, legislative affairs, at least publicly. And in this case, he did stand up and say this, that he was not supporting this measure. And I think that uh, may have been what really turned the tide. Of course, you uh, can depend on the BGA not only to fight for keeping government open and transparent, but also then for calling people out when they are speaking openly but wildly incorrectly about things. And David, a very interesting fact check that you can go read for yourself on the BGA website has to do with a, a pretty powerful Illinois lawmaker who seemed to be just kind of making it up as she went along related to the origins of COVID-19. Well, right. The the question is, um, you know, is the COVID-19 virus a natural virus or a man-made virus? And apparently Senate Majority Leader Kimberly Lightford believes that uh, there was some uh, genetic engineering going on. And she made some remarks to that effect. Uh, and we did our usual uh, research into the topic and found an article in Nature Medicine that specifically states uh, there's no evidence that this thing was genetically engineered. The World Health Organization, the U.S. intelligence authorities, even Dr. Anthony Fauci all have disavowed this notion that there is some genetic engineering, et cetera. When we reached out to Kim Lightford after doing all that research and, and asked her about her statement, she says, quote, I have nothing to back it up. I was generally speaking only my opinion. <laughs> Well, I, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we rated that false. I, I think we could have rated it even worse. Uh, it, it, on a serious level, 
public officials shouldn't just be tossing around their opinions about things they apparently don't know very much about. It doesn't really do much good. And so at least Kim Lightford was honest about this. But let's hope that next time uh, she considers sharing that point of view, she kind of bites her lip a little bit. Opinions are not a substitute for science. This is a message we are trying to hammer home on a daily basis with varying degrees of success. But you can go check out that uh, fact check on the BGA website. David, we're out of time, so let people know how to reach you and the Better Government Association the rest of the week. I'm at dgreising at bettergov.org. That's D-G-R-E-I-S-I-N-G at bettergov.org. And our website is bettergov.org. And of course, here each week, it's full disclosure on the WMAY morning news feed.